You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. What does Oh the Humanity mean? Origin of Oh the Humanity. This expression is a quote from the news reporter Herbert Morrison in the year 1937. He was reporting on the Hindenburg, a Zeppelin that was the largest aircraft ever built at the time. It was meant to be very luxurious. As the Hindenburg neared the end of its very first flight, it caught fire. Because the Hindenburg was filled with hydrogen, it ignited in a huge fireball. People attempted to jump off to escape. Over 30 people died and over 60 survived. The entire disaster was recorded on video and Herbert Morrison can be heard reporting what is happening. He was very upset by the huge disaster and exclaimed, Oh, the humanity in horror. Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado, August 5th, 2021 for episode 118 of season three, 183 of the podcast more generally. I was just reading for you a couple of paragraphs from a article on writingexplained.org concerning the phrase, oh, the humanity. That's kind of what we're going to be talking about. I'm not going to talk any more about this piece from writingexplained.org, which I feel like could have been written better itself for having been written for writers. But alas, I digress. This phrase, oh, the humanity, is on my mind this morning. And I think of a friend of mine named Stephen Williams. Stephen Williams was a high school friend I lost touch with over the years, not too long into Lauren's and my marriage. We just drifted apart because he was a single guy living in Columbus and he wanted to live the single video game playing, tabletop strategy game playing life. And I, on the other hand, had a wife and one, two, three, four children by the time we moved away from Ohio back to my home state of Montana. And so we just went our separate ways, and that's just what happens sometimes with friendships. But he was fond of silly things, of funny things. And I do remember how he liked to turn phrases into something that they weren't by making the words into other words, phrases that were common enough that were familiar enough, substituting a word. He was a living, breathing, walking, talking meme factory before memes were really a big thing on the internet. And so one of the things, one of the random, odd, weird things that my friend Stephen Williams liked to say from time to time, to be absurd, to be funny, was, oh, the huge manatee. He would also say Michelaney Mouse instead of miscellaneous, just to be weird, just to be odd. But, oh, the the humanity. Oh, the humanity. Oh, the huge manatee. You see, already I'm 
having a hard time saying the real thing because he would say the weird thing. Oh, the huge manatee. And at first you think, oh, yeah, wait, what? What do you mean, oh, the huge manatee? And there actually was a meme that, if I, if memory serves, he conjured it up. Maybe I'm misremembering. Maybe I'm misattributing. But there was this meme of the Hindenburg, of the picture from the Hindenburg disaster of this Hindenburg in flames right before it crashes to the ground. But instead of the Hindenburg, it's actually a giant black and white manatee on fire, as if the Hindenburg was just a giant inflatable manatee flying around, which caught fire, which is all the more absurd. It probably surprises no one if I say that my friend Stephen Williams is the one who pointed me in the direction of Douglas Adams and his Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy book series. But you think about what is meant in that 1937 clip, that news reel, and Herbert Morrison's famous expression as he is in horror, as he is appalled at what is happening. He says, oh, the humanity. What he's trying to say is, oh, the inhumanity in a certain sense. Or he's grieving the humanity that is being engulfed in flames here. And if you go back to the previous episode that I recorded yesterday, I talk about Calvin Coolidge and more specifically the excellent biography of our 30th president by Amity Schles. And Calvin Coolidge, for being as apparently stiff, wooden, uh, you know, restrained as he was, he presided over a time of unbridled optimism in the 1920s, immediately preceding the 1930s, a time when a lot of folks had high hopes for the trajectory of humankind, of humanity, through technological innovation, through scientific uh, discoveries, we were going to be able to cure diseases, fatally, tragically, eugenics uh, was also one of the areas where people were in this odd counterintuitive sort of way, ridiculously optimistic, but also capable of doing evil, horrible, depraved things to one another, despite their optimism. You know, the ends justify the means, and we're going to do these awful things. We're going to sterilize people. We're going to remove their ability to reproduce, or we're going to kill them. We're going to eliminate them. We're going to, as one uh, state medical officer said in the uh, early 20th century in America, we have to eliminate the germplasm from society. So you either A, are going to just eliminate their ability to reproduce by uh, you know, arresting them or sedating them if they come in for a standard uh, operating um, you know, medical procedure. And then we're going to, if it's a woman, we're going to give her a hysterectomy without her consent, without her knowledge. If it's a man, we're going to give him a vasectomy without his knowledge or consent. And thereby, we're going to eliminate the ability to reproduce, the ability to breed 
among these uh, human livestock as we see them. These people are uneducated, ignorant, backwards, immoral, insane. They have health problems. They uh, commit crimes. They're impoverished. And because we believe that we can solve all of these problems through science and we believe in our own inherent goodness, we don't stop to ask whether we are treating these creatures as if they are made in the image of God like we are. We don't stop to pause to ask what a holy and righteous God in heaven is going to say to us on Judgment Day based on how we have handled the least of these. We just carry on because we have, because of the progression of philosophy and humanism, we have come to see ourselves as effectively God. And we don't think that there will be a judgment day. We reject the resurrection. We reject the supernatural. Everything is natural. Everything is uh, substance, physical substance, not material and spiritual. It's only material. But, oh, the humanity in 1937 with the crash of the Hindenburg is such an interesting phrase to use. It's so interesting that that captured the public imagination at the time, that it has stuck with us, that here in the year 2021, I do a quick search on DuckDuckGo for Oh the Humanity, and lo and behold, I find as the top search result this piece at Writing Explained talking about what it is that Herbert Morrison said on this footage. As this is happening, he becomes part of the story, and we remember Oh the Humanity right alongside the Hindenburg. If you think about that, it's so interesting that Oh the Humanity is what someone says when this technological wonder, this almost a symbol of man, like the citizens of Babel building a tower to heaven, man is going to exalt himself, going up into the air in this giant flying contraption and sipping champagne and eating caviar. He's going to look down on the world in a kind of godlike luxury, as if he is some Greek god on Mount Olympus surveying the mere mortals. And yet, what happens? There is a repercussion for the way that this thing has been constructed and not sufficiently tested, not sufficiently tried, uh, how it gets its lift from being hydrogen-filled in conjunction with <clears throat> the material that the skin of this uh, Zeppelin is created out of or made out of. Uh, those two things together, what the skin of the Zeppelin is made out of and what the Zeppelin is filled with, are combined in uh, disastrous and uh, history-making effect to a fiery death for everybody who is on board, to a spectacle of horror and shock and disappointment, unbelief for those on the ground looking up. Oh, the humanity. What an interesting phrase to utter. Oh, the humanity. Though that really is what it's about, is that as human beings, we became a little bit like Icarus and Daedalus. Icarus has these 
wings, which are attached to his arms by wax. And when he flies too close to the sun, the wax melts, the wings fall off, and he plummets to his death in the ancient Greek myth. Oh, the humanity. He, according to the moral of the story, as the Greeks told themselves this story over and over again, Icarus, and by extension his father Daedalus, had forgotten that the heavens are the domain of the gods, and that they were not gods, they were mere mortals. As with so many stories from ancient Greek mythology, there is this tension between hubris on the one part, where we become conceited, puffed up, arrogant, full of ourselves, and we fly higher than we have any right to, based on our nature, based on our place in the created order. But on the other hand, kudos, which is glory. So kudos is a good thing, but if you pursue kudos too much without respect for your proper place, you will be accused by God and man of hubris. And hubris always precedes judgment, consequences, often fatal consequences, tragic consequences. So it is the humble who stop short of exalting themselves, elevating themselves, in the story of Icarus and Daedalus, literally elevating themselves. And the humble keep themselves in their proper place. If anything, they stop well short of how high they could fly based on their character. They don't allow themselves to be elevated beyond their capacity to be elevated. And so then you have, in the case of the Hindenburg, people similar to the Titanic, believing that anything is possible and becoming hubristic. And there's a parable being told, being taught in the practical consequences of the Titanic and of the Hindenburg. And the phrase, oh, the humanity, is telling. In the case of the story of the Titanic, the taunt, the challenge, the gauntlet throw down was that a ship had been fashioned, had been built, which not even God himself could sink. And then what happens? God proceeds to sink the Titanic or man's folly sinks the Titanic. God doesn't need to sink the Titanic when it is our own foolish pride which sinks us. We sink ourselves. God does not rejoice or take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, as we read in Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 32 says, For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord God. Therefore, repent and live. And what this is talking about is not exalting ourselves, not putting ourselves on a pedestal and judging God, for one thing, to where we say to God, your way is not right. And God replies, is it really my way, which is not right, O house of Israel? Is it not your way that is not right? You see, God is patient with us, and he asks us and encourages us and gives us time and opportunity to double-check our math, whether or not 
his way is right and our way is not right. But, oh, the humanity is such a fitting statement. Someone might say, you're reading too much into this, but what is the difference between saying, oh, the humanity and saying, oh, the huge manity? In the one case, we want a laugh. And I don't mean to throw stones at my old friend, Stephen Williams, by any means. But this is common. And this is what internet culture has become, is frivolous nihilism. We interact with people on the internet, and we don't think of them as real people, and we don't treat them as if humanity is something special and important. We are, of course, very important, and so we exalt ourselves, and we sit in the same place that the house of Israel sits in Ezekiel chapter 18, where we say to God, your way is not right, as if we're going to instruct him. We go five steps further than Job does when he asks why he was even created, why he wasn't stillborn, if this was going to be his situation. We go five steps beyond that, and we accuse God of being unjust and unfair. We tackle the problem of pain and evil in the world by blaming God for it instead of taking responsibility for our own sinking of our own Titanics, our own folly in constructing our Hindenburgs the way that we do. Oh, the humanity says quite a lot because what is it that we have obsessively focused on? Our own humanity. And yet in the process of detaching our humanity from God's character, we lose sight of what humanity actually is. Why eugenicists were able to do to so many people, so many millions and millions and millions of people, what they were able to do for a span is they lost sight of what humanity actually means. They thought of themselves as gods and they treated other people they looked down on as brute beasts, as livestock, as so many cattle which needed to be culled or castrated. And yet, what is it that C.S. Lewis says, I think of often, we castrate and bid the gelding be fruitful. In The Abolition of Man, C.S. Lewis writes, in a sort of ghastly simplicity, we remove the organ and demand the function. We make men without chests and expect of them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. We castrate and bid the geldings be fruitful. In other words, it's such an odd counterintuitive thing that even as we build these contraptions, we develop these technologies which give us this sense of godlike power, we discard other things which are so necessary, so essential to our thriving, to human flourishing. In fact, we forget what it means to be human. And that is the beginning of the end. That is the beginning of when we die. To forget the Imago Dei, as I've been recently discussing with my friends Joseph Crampton and Bobby McPherson with In Gladii Veritas, as I've been discussing with my neighbor two houses down, J.P. Chavez, 
the Imago Dei is not all there is to the story. You can't stop there, but you certainly have to start there as Genesis does. God's word introduces humanity with God's statement of intention. I will make man in my image. Let us make man in our image, he says. So then male and female, he creates them. He creates us. And what is it that we find as we divorce our reality from our origin and from the reality of God and his character and his goodness? We find that every aspect of our humanity breaks down. We might as well say, oh, the huge humanity, because there's more honesty in that absurdity than there is in our wrangling over whether, as the American Medical Association has recently published, I think as of last week, we're going to remove sex from birth certificates for newborn babies because it's not a meaningful distinction. Male, female, what does it matter? Well, it matters quite a lot because the anatomy of a male versus a female is very different. The biochemistry of males and females is very different. Men and women might as well not exist because we're killing ourselves with all of this dehumanizing and godlessness. We cannot help but dehumanize ourselves and one another when we become godless. You know, if you look back at the story in Genesis of Eve being tempted by the serpent, taking the fruit that was forbidden, giving some to her husband, the both of them eating, God appearing in the garden, and those two hiding themselves. Yes, there is a symbolic truth here. I believe that that is a literal statement of history. I don't believe that it has to be symbolic or literal. I think it can be figurative and literal at the same time. In fact, I think the most beautiful interpretation of that passage is to take it at face value and also look at what it represents symbolically instead of insisting it can only be one or the other. There's a false dichotomy when we insist it can only be literal or figurative. But what is it that God had told Adam? What is it that he had said and promised when he gave the prohibition? You will surely die on that day. And what is it that happens? There is a kind of death that is immediate, and there is the process of dying which starts. The clock starts when the disobedience happens because we are separating ourselves from our creator in whose image we were made. We're separating ourselves from mainline power. At work, we have battery backup systems. And these battery backup systems are designed to keep our programmable logic computers, PLC for short, running in the event of power loss. The utility company blows a fuse, something happens, a lightning strike happens, somebody crashes into a pole, what have you, something happens, and all of a sudden we're not getting electricity from the utility company anymore. Most of the plant's operation is going to shut down if we are dependent on power from the utility company. But for a period of hours, we can run certain safety critical systems to monitor what is going on to maintain some level of control 
using battery backups, UPS. Our battery backups only last for so many hours. And so you might say, well, wait a second. Did you really lose power? I still see your control screens are working. This computer is still on. You're still able to see sensors and devices and things like that. So did you really lose power when the power company stopped feeding us? Well, yes. Yes, we really did lose power. We have battery backups that will last for a little while. And then if the power is not restored, it's lights out. Everything's going to be off. Those batteries run out of power, run out of juice at a certain point. And that is, I believe, analogous to what happened in the garden with Adam and Eve. Yes, they lived for hundreds of years. Their battery backup system was more robust before thousands of years of sin and folly had chipped away like a chisel and a hammer at our DNA, at our genetic code. Their battery backups were much better, and that's why the first many several generations prior to the Great Flood live for centuries. They don't live for decades. They live for centuries. And yet, in another sense, in a very real sense, they are dying for centuries instead of decades. Now we die for several decades at best, and that is it. It is appointed once for a man to die, then comes the judgment. But, oh, the humanity. Oh, the humanity. What does it mean that we are human beings? We can't make sense of our humanity. We can't even make sense of basic distinctions like male and female, man and woman, apart from God. And so in the modern era, as we have disconnected ourselves from mainline power, if you will, we've disconnected ourselves from the source of truth and goodness and beauty, we find that our expressions of humanity are uglier, more false, less good. In fact, downright Hindenburg in their tragic outcome. We brag to ourselves that we have made this ship that not even God himself could sink. And then we find that we ourselves are sinking our own ship through error, through hubris, flying too close to the sun, constructing the skin of our Zeppelin out of matchstick paper. And then what happens? We make this floating, flying match. And it gets lit. And we cry, oh, the humanity. What we really should be crying is, dear God, have mercy. That's all I've got for this episode. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com.